Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up on water treatment knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi, everybody. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of Scaling Up. I am super excited about today's show because today's show is something that most of us misunderstand. We don't know how to talk to our customers about it, and we simply don't know what the right information is and where to go find it. We're talking about the L word today. Yes, I said it, the L word. I'm even going to say the real word, Legionella. Today's show is all about Legionella. We're going to get to the bottom of what Legionella is, what we need to know about it, how we explain it to our customers, and how we get everybody working together towards a common goal. The reason I call it the L word and the reason this show is entitled the L word is because I think the story where I got the L word really explains the entire issue and why we're talking about it today. I had a client that told me under no circumstances were I ever allowed to say the word Legionella. In her building, I had to say the L word. Because if somebody overheard us talking about Legionella, they were going to come out of the woodwork and file a lawsuit on her. Misunderstanding Legionella is what is going on here, folks. And we are going to talk about it today. Through education, we can make better decisions about Legionella and our customers can make better decisions about it. So we're going to make sure we understand the L word. We're going to talk about all topics around Legionella. What's a guideline versus a standard? What are all these different documents that are out there? What do they mean? What do they say that we have to do and who has to do them? How do we use all this information to educate our customers so they're not just simply pointing the finger at us and saying, that's your problem, you take care of it. How do we all work together and take care of it as a team? How do we test? What do we test? What do we do when we get a positive test back? How do we interpret all this stuff? We're going to talk about that and more because we have the world-renowned expert on Legionella, Dr. Janet Stout of Special Pathogens Laboratory, as our guest today. Folks, she literally wrote the book on Legionella. And she's going to talk about everything that we should know about Legionella. And at the end of today's show, you're going to be armed with knowledge to go out and educate on what people need to know and do about Legionella. We all know knowledge is power. So let's get started with our interview with Janet Stout. My lab partner today is Dr. Janet Stout, and I'm so privileged to have Janet Stout on the show today because, as I said in the intro, she has literally written the book on Legionella. Janet, are you ready to let the world, the Scaling Up Nation, know what Legionella is and what we should do about it? Well, I'm just thrilled to have the opportunity, Trace, and I'd have you as a lab partner any day. (laughs) I love it. Thank you very much. Well, Janet, one of my favorite things that you have given me over the years, besides all the great information, 
are the Legionella chill pills. I just enjoyed a few before we entered <laughs> into this conversation. And I think that is the coolest marketing theme. I think it says take two Legionella chill pills and they're, they're minty fresh mints and call you in the morning after Legionella testing. So <laughs> my goal for this show is at the end of this show, we give everybody in the Scaling Up Nation some audible chill pills because they now have knowledge to go out and understand the L word Legionella. I think that's a great goal, and there is tremendous anxiety around this, both the, among the water treatment professionals as well as their clients and the general public. So I think that's a fantastic goal. All right. I said that you know you literally wrote the book on Legionella, but I can't do justice to who you are in the Legionella community. Do you mind sharing with our listeners basically who you are and what you do? Sure. So I, I say that I'm uh, I'm not old, I'm experienced. And usually when I give lectures, I, I like to introduce myself by uh, showing the first publication that I had uh, on Legionnaire's disease, which was published in 1982 in the New England Journal of Medicine. And that was the result of my master's thesis with Dr. Victor Yu at the Pittsburgh VA Hospital. So where Legionnaire's disease was discovered after the Bellevue-Stratford Hotel outbreak where the American Legion Convention was held in Philadelphia in 1976. And I started my research in Legionnaire's disease in 1980. So not too long after the discovery of the organism did I actually begin my studies of Legionnaire's disease. And, and I don't know if I picked Legionella or Legionella picked me, but we've been together ever since, and uh, Legionella just celebrated its 40th uh, birthday last year. So I've been studying it a long time, and, and that uh, wealth of information on the environmental side, the, the clinical diagnostic side, and understanding how the disease is transmitted, and all that experience from over those years is what I like to share with people like your audience, uh, because that's who we are at Special Pathogens Laboratory. We're the Legionella experts, and that expertise comes from studying the organism for a long time. Uh, you know, sort of technically, I, I have a master's and a PhD in infectious disease microbiology from the Graduate School of Public Health here at the University of Pittsburgh and a bachelor's degree from Clarion University. So lots of education, but more, most importantly, I think, is the applied knowledge that I've gotten over all these years uh, down there in the tank room or have my head in the cooling tower. That's where you really learn the information that your audience is really uh, interested in. Well, great. Well, let's, let's just get into it. What the heck is Legionella? Well, Legionella is a bacteria. We talk about Legionella generically, you know, just with that L word, as you said, Legionella. But actually, it's part of a, a pretty large family, more than 58 members of that family or species. And the original outbreak uh, that we all heard of in 76 was caused by one member of the Legionella bacterial family called Legionella pneumophila serogroup 1. And to this day, that organism is responsible for the majority of infections that we see that are caused by Legionella bacteria. And the infection is principally pneumonia. So it's bacterial pneumonia caused by Legionella. And what's really kind of interesting is that the symptoms of Legionnaire's disease are really no different than the symptoms of other forms of bacterial pneumonia. So when you, let's say you had Legionnaire's disease and you went to see your family physician and they listen to your chest and they say, yeah, I've got some fluid in there. 
and they take your temperature, and yes, you have a high fever, usually about 102 or 103, you've got pneumonia. But unless that physician thinks to test you specifically for Legionella, usually with a urine antigen test, they won't know you have Legionnaire's disease. And in fact, many, many cases of Legionnaire's disease go undiagnosed because the physician's not thinking about Legionella. And the implications of that is the choice of the antibiotic that you're treated with because Legionella is not going to be killed by all types of antibiotics. And in fact, some of the more common ones like penicillin or cephalosporins are completely ineffective in the treatment of Legionnaire's disease. So you want that doctor to make the diagnosis, test you for it, and then treat you with either levofloxacin or azithromycin. So it's a very, very treatable form of bacterial pneumonia if the diagnosis is made and if the antibiotic is effective and selected for treatment. So that's what Legionnaire's disease is. Well, what are some of the signs when somebody contracts that? Well, typically it's a very, very high fever. It's not unusual for people with Legionnaire's disease to have 102 to 104 degree fever. The cough is dry. They may have diarrhea. So that's why these, these sort of symptoms are nonspecific and common to other forms of infection. And that's why it can be a cause of death because if there's a delay in treatment, even of a few days, it dramatically increases the chance of death. And Compared to other bacterial infections, people are more likely to die of this infection, particularly if they're in the hospital. So if you get Legionnaire's disease out in the community, the chance of death is about 10 to 15 percent. But if you're unfortunate enough to get Legionnaire's disease while you're in the hospital for something else, the chance of death could be as high as 30 percent. So it's really, really important uh, for that antibiotic treatment to start early. Can anybody get Legionella? Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the reasons that a doctor might not think of Legionnaire's disease when they're treating you with your pneumonia is because there's this idea that Legionnaire's disease only happens in people who are already sick with various diseases like diabetes or chronic lung disease and, and people might be on high doses of corticosteroids. So there's kind of a preconceived notion that only sick people get Legionnaire's disease. But our studies and others have shown that about 25% of the cases of Legionnaire's disease have none of those risk factors. They're not a smoker. They don't have diabetes. They don't have chronic lung disease. You know, they're not a transplant recipient or otherwise immunocompromised. So there's there's a, a wide spectrum of individuals that get Legionnaire's disease. There is a a tendency for older people to get Legionnaire's disease, and the statistic is uh, most cases are older than 50. And I sort of took umbrage with that because I don't think 50 is that old. What do you think, Trace? (laughs) Uh, I'm getting close, so I agree. (laughs) So uh, what can a water treater do about this? Well, you know, historically, the water treatment professional has only been asked to address general microbial fouling in a cooling tower. And they've attacked the cooling tower and the biocide program with that purpose in mind. And their clients have really only asked them to do that to improve heat exchange and, and efficiency. So they're not, their clients, the water tre- treaters' clients, have not historically been asking them to provide a Legionella control and management program. But that is changing. And there are a number of standards and, and other requirements now that make the client 
really be required in some instances to address Legionella in the cooling tower. So I think an important role of the water treatment professional is to make those clients aware of those new requirements and to gently encourage them to follow them. And I think most people, when when they understand the uh, exposure they have, and I mean exposure in two ways, one, exposing themselves or their patients or their workers to the risk of Legionella in a cooling tower or water distribution system, but I also mean exposure to litigation. So in in some ways, that's the other L word that's applicable here, litigation. Legionnaire's disease is highly litigated, lots of lawsuits. So the chance if something happens that the person will be sued is very, very high. And I find, sadly, sometimes that's a bigger motivator than public health. So I think the water treater, in addition to applying uh, water treatment that's an effective program for overall microbial control as well as Legionella, their role is really education. Well, I know that the conversation between the water treater and the end user, building owner, manager, what have you, is it could be better in most cases. And it's probably not said in the best way that it could because nobody really knows what to inform the other party to do. In fact, I actually received a bid specification a couple of weeks ago, and it said that in order to comply with the specification, the water treater had to bring the entire building in compliance with ANSI ASHRAE 188-2015 or higher. So I think that just goes to show how you know the clients, as well as the water treaters, truly don't understand what these documents are that state what we're supposed to do and how to deal with them. And I say water treaters didn't understand that because I know water treaters actually bid on that, not knowing what they were asking for. So I have a couple of questions built around that setup. One, what should we be saying in that conversation with that owner or manager? And then how do we lead that in to the guidelines and standards that we have available to us today? Well, those are great questions. I think what you say to the owner is things have changed dramatically in terms of industry standard for management of building water systems. And that's both the potable water, water distribution system within the building, as well as the utility water, which is generally speaking the cooling tower. And what they need to understand about Standard 188, which came out in June of 2015, And that's the title of that standard is Legionellosis Risk Management for Building Water Systems. So it's not just cooling towers, as as that bid specification indicated. It's it's both potable and utility water systems. And so what you want to be telling the end user is that the standard is very specific about the overall approach to implementing that risk management uh, plan. And the responsible party for doing that assessment and implementing that plan is the building owner. And there are various steps in complying with Standard 188. And the first is really doing a survey of the building water systems. Do you have cooling towers? And if you do have cooling towers, that checks a box that you need to have a risk management plan for the cooling tower. 
Do you have a building that houses at-risk individuals? For example, a medical center. That means check that box. You need to have a risk management plan for the building, both the potable water and the cooling tower because both of those present risks to the building occupants. So I think it's really important to make clear who is responsible. And I think for the water treatment professional to convey that either they or in partnership with others can provide what is necessary to meet those new industry standards. I mentioned that it came out in June of 2015, And there's been kind of a slow adoption, and in part because it's a voluntary standard, so it's not yet been adopted into code, except in regulations in New York City and New York State. Because of the Bronx outbreak, which implicated a cooling tower and affected uh, approximately 130 individuals, and, and there were a number of deaths, the outcome of that was regulations for the state in, of New York and the city of New York. So if any of your listeners are uh, in New York, they should pay particular attention because New York is the first to have a law, a regulation that requires the building owner to do some very, very specific things. So the, the point here is really education, uh, informing the end user kind of what they should be doing and why they should be doing it, uh, both in terms of the health benefits and and risk mitigation for exposure to Legionella and risk of Legionnaire's disease, but also I think really strongly emphasize that compliance is a safe harbor for the institution against claims of negligence. So compliance with ASHRAE 188 Uh, can be looked at as a good thing for the institution to do and and spend their money on to protect the reputation and also protect them from from liability. So those those are the things, I think, the reasons and the emphasis for the water treater to be communicating to the end user. I think it really also means that the water treatment professional needs to be educated themselves. And there are a number of places where they can get information. You can, in fact, go to the ASHRAE website and read the standard for free. If you want to buy it and and get a print copy or an electronic copy, they want some money. But you can read it for free. So you can educate yourself in that way. We here at Special Pathogens Laboratory have a very, very strong focus on education. And so on our website, specialpathogenslab.com, in the resources tab is treasure trove of information. For example, there's a table that has all of these guidelines and standards listed there that you can click and look at them, including the Association of Water Technologies, the AWT guideline, the Cooling Technology Institute guideline, some information from ourselves on cooling tower control strategies, So lots and lots of information there. And also, after the standard came out from ASHRAE, which for those of you that may not be familiar, used to stand for the American Society of Heating, Refrigerating, and Air Conditioning Engineers, and now they just go by ASHRAE. But that's the institution that that created the uh, Standard 188 for Legionella Management. So there's a a tremendous amount of information available to you, and, and I think it's really important to be educated. 
after ASHRAE came out in terms of education, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, put together what they call a toolkit, and that's also free and on the CDC website. And really the purpose of that was kind of a simple way to introduce people to the requirements that were being put out by ASHRAE Standard 188 and to help orient people in simple language as to the purpose of these standards and the risk management approach. So there's a lot of good information there from CDC as well. You spoke a lot about ASHRAE 188, and if somebody has not read the document, in a nutshell, what does it say? Well, in a nutshell, what this standard is, is a risk management approach to you know, controlling the risk that we have in, build, in building water systems to exposure to Legionella if Legionella growth is unchecked. And that risk is where water is. Legionella is a waterborne bacteria, so you're not going to find Legionella on dry surfaces. So within buildings, there are certain water features, uh, the presence of water, uh, particularly warm water distribution systems, that have historically been linked to cases of Legionnaire's disease. So hot water distribution systems, cooling towers, decorative water features, humidification, uh, things that generate aerosols uh, of uh, bacteria. So these these devices and these water systems are the target for management in Standard 188. And what you what you'll find in Standard 188 is kind of a high level approach. It requires the organization to have a water management team. Uh, so there's a number of individuals that have knowledge of the water systems as well as knowledge of Legionella and infection prevention, for example, in a hospital, they would be members of the team. And sometimes that team includes the water treatment professional as well. The, the next step is to walk through the building and write down what happens to the water as it flows through the building and create what's called a flow diagram. So it's kind of a high-level box and line drawing of the water as it goes through the building. And then you evaluate conditions throughout the building that may uh, increase the probability of Legionella growing there. And then you describe what kind of controls you can put in place to make sure that that condition keeps Legionella under control. And then if by chance you would detect Legionella in that system, you define corrective actions. So if you have something that's not within the control limits, what are you going to do? That's all described in the water management plan. And then most importantly is the piece called confirmation. So there's two parts of confirmation. One is that the plan itself is being followed as it was designed, but more importantly that the hazard of Legionella has been controlled by implementing this plan. And the only way and I want to say that again, the only way that you can confirm that Legionella is under control is to test specifically for Legionella. There are no surrogate substitutes. You can't use temperature because the temperatures that control Legionella are above 140 degrees and most systems aren't operating that hot because you'd have scalding problems. So temperature is not a, a surrogate. Uh, pH isn't a surrogate. 
heterotrophic plate count bacteria are, is not a surrogate. So you cannot use those to inform yourself about whether Legionella is present or absent and uh, whether the risk is controlled. So that piece of confirmation is really, really important. And then finally, it calls out the need for documentation that you have measured these or monitored these control locations. You have addressed whether those that monitoring result is within the limits that you've specified, and then that corrective actions have been imp- implemented. And I think what I think the listeners should really kind of get a feel for is that there's a lot of freedom within Standard 188 for you and the end user to make lots of decisions. For example, the water management team decides where they're going to test for Legionella, how often they're going to test, and in fact, whether they're going to test. There's no requirement in Standard 188 to test for Legionella, but you will find within the standard kind of a little bit of a warning. Like if these conditions exist, you probably really should be testing for Legionella. And the reason there's no you shall test for Legionella in Standard 188 is it was a big committee, about 30 people, and getting consensus around a contentious contentious issue like that is very difficult. But certainly I would recommend it for the reasons that I've already stated. Uh, So the good news, I say, is that there's a lot of freedom uh, for the people developing this water management plan for the facility. So you get to make lots of decisions. And then I say the bad news is you get to make lots of decisions. So there's a tremendous amount of responsibility there. In part, I think that's why there's a team. Nobody wants that hot potato all to themselves. Now, for some reason, even after all of that, people just latch on to the cooling tower portion of that. Why is that? That's a great point. My, after all these years, my take on that is that managing bacteria, Legionella, in a cooling tower is easier. And it's easier in two ways. So you've got this cooling tower basin of water, and you can just add more chemical or add a different biocide. And there aren't a lot of restrictions on how much you can add. So you can do a pretty good job of controlling Legionella in that confined space of the basin. When you're talking about a water distribution system, there are a lot of rules about what you can put in the water to control bacteria and how much. And the the organization making those rules is the Environmental Protection Agency. They have maximum levels of biocides that are allowable, and that is described in the Safe Drinking Water Act. So there are, it's a little bit, because there are so many rules about that, it's more complicated. And then it's also more expensive. So, for example, if a hospital tests for Legionella, finds Legionella pneumophilus serogroup 1 in their water, either hopefully before there is a case. Uh, We want people to be proactive and monitor before cases occur or, unfortunately, after an outbreak occurs. Well, then what's called secondary disinfection. These are systems that are placed on primarily the hot water is my preference because I prefer not to add a lot of chemical to the drinking water. And Legionella is growing almost exclusively in the hot water system. So when you put these systems on, and it can be 
additional chlorine, it can be chlorine dioxide, it can be monochloramine, it can be copper-silver ionization, or you can you know, elevate the temperature and do a heat and flush. These systems of additional chemical injection are not inexpensive. So people have a tendency to not want to look in or kind of peek into that box of uh, is Legionella in my water distribution system because they're they're afraid of the cost. But I, I always want to help people to put that cost in perspective. So for example, if you're a, a medical center and you have transplant patients, bone marrow transplant patient or a solid organ transplant patient costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, you don't want to lose any of those patients to Legionnaire's disease. So when you put it into perspective on the cost of these things, it's really not that much. Well, I know New York was the first uh, municipality to actually make that part of law, ASHRAE 188, but they only chose the parts that dealt with the cooling tower. I've attended some of your talks before, and there's so much Legionella found in potable water. Uh, Why didn't they just go for the whole thing? Well, there's two parts to this story. So just with New York City, they implemented the regulation in New York City in response to the Bronx outbreak. If you recall, in the summer, July, August of 2015, that outbreak occurred. And there was a tremendous amount of pressure on the public health authorities in the city to get the situation under control. One of the impediments to doing that is they couldn't find the cooling towers to test them to see which one may have been the source. They ultimately tested hundreds of towers, finally identified the source. Uh, It was a small cooling tower on a hotel in the Bronx. But what would have helped them is if they had known where to find them. And so what they implemented in the regulation was a requirement for cooling towers to be registered so that they could find them should an outbreak occur again, a requirement for cleaning and disinfection of cooling towers on a regular basis so that the problems that that occurred and resulted in the outbreak theoretically wouldn't occur again, and then also required Legionella testing every 90 days so that there's feedback both to the owner and the water treatment provider, how well is the treatment controlling Legionella. So the reason New York City's regulation focuses on cooling towers is a direct result of that outbreak. Now, the state of New York followed suit in terms of the regu- their regulation applying to cooling towers, but they added healthcare facilities. So in New York State, healthcare facilities are required to have a water management plan for their water distribution system and to test for Legionella in their water distribution system on a regular basis. So so New York State did take it a step further. So in your opinion, do you think other municipalities will follow? Well, I I hope so, actually. And I do think that uh, once there is a, a, a regulation that people in other states can implement as well without recreating the wheel, it makes it easier for that to be done. And I know in the state of Connecticut, they're, uh, or at least part of the state of Connecticut, they're, they're uh, about to do something like that. Early, you mentioned there there's a lot of different protocols, there's standards, there's guidelines. What's the difference between all of those? Well, so for a long, long time, there was only guidance documents. And in fact, ASHRAE guideline 12 
was published in 2000. And it had kind of like, uh, you might think about doing this. And it was actually a very, very good document on general education about the various water systems that were implicated in Legionnaire's disease and what to do uh, to manage them. But it was a guideline. Uh, And in fact, you know, next week, all of us on the standard committee are going to put the final touches, I think, on an update to guideline 12. So that's a coming attractions uh, kind of commercial for ASHRAE on guideline 12. But, you know, for example, when I mentioned the litigation word, and I always try to have a a little lawyer on my shoulder when I'm advising our clients on, on Legionella water management, because when you follow a guidance document, it's good to do that, but it, when you kind of get to that litigation stage and, and the other side saying, well, they didn't follow the guideline, it doesn't have as much strength uh, as the standard. Uh, so now when lawsuits are brought and they bring the standard out and they say, you didn't follow that standard, that's a little bit of a stronger uh, argument and harder to defend against. So again, ASHRAE Standard 188 has kind of your roadmap for implementing and creating a water management approach and program. The other documents that are out there, other than the state of New York and the city of New York, are also uh, voluntary. So the it's still good information. You know, the Association of Water Technologies uh, position paper on Legionella, the Cooling Technology Institute guideline on Legionella, and, and those documents are also under revision currently, are very, very good information. And they have kind of guidelines on for cooling towers, what to do in response to certain concentrations of Legionella and heterotrophic plate count bacteria. So that's good information. There's actually a, a long-standing standard from Australia because lots of other countries have had these standards a lot longer than the United States that I like very much, and that's what is on our website for the cooling tower control strategy and essentially what was adopted by New York City. And what I like about that is it's uh, guidance, incremental changes in water treatment based on logarithmic or tenfold changes in Legionella concentration. So it's very reasonable. You know, one of the mistakes that's been made in the past is you find a little Legionella and they go, oh my gosh, we have to pour 50 ppm of free residual chlorine in our cooling tower. And that's just not necessary. And it causes tremendous damage to the cooling tower, of course. But it's like a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, That's when they should take some of those Dr. Stout chill pills and (laughs) relax a little bit because you don't have to react like that. And so both in New York City's regulation and in that uh, Australia-New Zealand standard, it's incremental changes in water treatment, not that 50 ppm shock dose Uh, in response to concentrations of Legionella that would be detected when you do your testing. Well, just recently, a memo came out for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services that speaks directly around ASHRAE 188 and water management plans and Legionella. What exactly does that document say? Well, that was like a lightning bolt that went across the United States, and it, it came out on June 2nd and was slightly modified on June 9th. So the Centers for uh, Medicare and Medicaid, for me, it was out of the blue. I I didn't know that this was coming. And I think for hospitals, it was out of the blue. Uh, Came out with this memorandum, and the title of it is Requirement to Reduce Legionella Risk 
in healthcare facility water systems to prevent cases and outbreaks of Legionnaire's disease. And I think what's important for your listeners, because they're going, well, who's affected by this? And the facilities that are affected by this are hospitals, critical access hospitals, and long-term care facilities, where we see lots and lots of cases of Legionnaire's disease. And the, the requirements in the CMS memorandum and this is what also got people's attention, were effective immediately. So, of course, that really caused some anxiety. And the requirements, as stated in the memo, is that CMS expects Medicare-certified healthcare facilities to have water management policies and procedures to reduce the risk of growth and spread of Legionella and, interestingly, other water, uh, other opportunistic waterborne pathogens in building water systems. And they go on to say that you, these facilities need to conduct a risk assessment to figure out where Legionella and these other organisms may be growing and spreading in the facility water systems. They need a water management program, and this is where uh, ASHRAE comes in, and it says that considers the ASHRAE industry standard and the CDC toolkit, uh, includes control measures and measurements, and then finally specify testing protocols to verify and determine that you know, you're under control. And so when I was just at last week, the National Infection Control conference, everyone was abuzz about this CMS requirement, and particularly because it said it's effective immediately. So though all of those healthcare facilities that your listeners perhaps have been calling on and asking them to do Legionella testing, to implement uh, ASHRAE 188, I think you will now have their ear and if they if those facilities haven't heard about the CMS memorandum then you need to provide it to them because the CMS surveyors will be uh, citing them if they are not in compliance and 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 that gets their attention too now in the in the memorandum it says those facilities unable to demonstrate measures to minimize the risk of legionnaires disease are at risk of citation for non-compliance. That certainly gets people's attention I'm as sure well. It would. I know there's the rumor going around that if uh, a doctor takes any money from Medicaid or Medicare, they now have to come in compliance with this document. Is that true? Uh, I would say that probably is not true because the the memorandum says that the memorandum applies to hospitals, critical access hospitals, and long-term care facilities, not to individuals. Well, thanks for clearing that up. Do you mind if we shift our focus a little bit and talk about testing? I'd love to talk about testing. I thought you might like to talk about (laughs) testing. Let me just say something philosophically about testing, uh, because this has kind of been a, a hot potato issue. Many people not wanting to do it. So your end users give pushback to the water treaters when they bring it up. And sometimes water treaters are afraid to bring it up because they, they think that uh, it'll upset the end user. The reason to do testing for Legionella, as I said earlier, is it's the only way to assess the risk, truly. And one of the things that I've learned in in testing facilities and cooling towers is that 
not all of them have Legionella in them. And, and this is one of the myths that I take every opportunity to dispel. Because it, what people say is, oh, Legionella is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. So there's no point in testing for it. And in fact, Legionella is not everywhere. And when you, we look at uh, surveys of hospitals or large buildings, Depending on the study that you cite, anywhere from 20 to 70% will be positive. So the rule of thumb is about half. So it's important, particularly for a healthcare facility, to find out which half they're in. Are they in the half that have Legionella? And then also as important is what kind of Legionella is in the water? Because not all Legionella are equal in terms of their ability to cause illness. You know, we talked earlier about Legionella pneumophilus serogroup 1 being the primary disease-causing agent. So that's the one that the majority, 80% of cases, are caused by Legionella pneumophila serogroup 1. So that's the one we're most concerned about. And when you test a hospital water distribution system, you get information right away that has an implication for the physicians in the facility. Because if you don't have serogroup 1 in the water, that urine test is not going to be any good at detecting hospital-acquired Legionnaire's disease because that test is specific for Legionella and serogroup 1. So if you have serogroup 6 and they're using that urine antigen test, they're going to completely miss those cases. So there's a, an immediate benefit to the hospital for doing that testing of their warm water distribution system. And then similarly with cooling towers, only about 30 to 50% are positive for Legionella. And knowing that information, and generally speaking for a, a tower that's operating year-round, it would be a quarterly test. And you want to get that test done because it gives you feedback about whether or not the biocide program needs to be adjusted, you know, a little bit higher dose or greater frequency. And as you very, very well know, the operation of a cooling tower is very different depending on the time of year. So during the high heat loads in the peak of the summer, the amount of biocide and the frequency of addition that was good back in April or May may not be good enough in uh, the beginning of August. So you need that feedback to make that adjustment. So, you know, Legionella is not everywhere, but you learn really, really good information about risk of disease and about how to treat the water by doing that testing. Well, let me play a couple of scenarios out with you. So I'm a water treater. I convince my customer to do Legionella testing and a positive comes back. What do I do now? Don't panic. And there's, there's another opportunity for those chill pills again. That's the common theme um, through the show. Yes, yeah. So uh, one of the advantages and ways to manage the anxiety, the advantage of the water management plan or program is that you define what the corrective actions are going to be should you find Legionella. So that's usually broken down into kind of, as I mentioned before, logarithmic, so 10, 100,000. Uh, Legionella per milliliter and the corrective actions when you have those results. So the water management plan really helps mitigate the anxiety because people know what to do when that occurs. The most important thing is that, you know, we're not trying to have, well, maybe there's a goal to have, you know, a non-detect for Legionella, but in my experience, it's virtually impossible. 
So you're going to have a positive. So you might as well have that conversation with the end user right away. And I think it's important to have those conversations before the testing is done to kind of adjust expectations. So you talk about what could happen. There might be a positive. It doesn't mean that it's the fault of the water treater. It just means that adjustments to the program need to be made. And the results of that test help you to know what those adjustments need need to be. So the letting the client know, the end user know that uh, having a positive is is going to happen. You have a plan to address that, and that it's not it's not a reflection on on the poor water treatment. It's just the dynamics change, and so you need that feedback to help people to adjust those programs. So the goal here, whether it's ASHRAE 188 or if you're in New York and it's the regulation or, or CMS, is to prevent the disease. You know, our job uh, in what we're doing here uh, is to prevent Legionnaires' disease. That's our mission here at Special Pathogens. It's, we call it NLD. That's the goal, not to have zero Legionella from a water distribution system because it's virtually impossible. So I'm having a conversation with one of my customers and I convince them to do Legionella testing. I then have the conversation that, you know, this could come back positive. So what are we going to do if it comes back positive between one and a hundred and a hundred and a thousand and over a thousand? And they say, I have no idea. I don't have that plan. Now, what do we do? Well, you say, well, let's create that plan. And the plan can be simple. It could just be, you know, like we have on our website, the, the strategy, which lays out uh, on one column of the table, it has the concentration of Legionella uh, recovered, you know, 10, 100,000. And in the other column, it says what to do. Uh, if it's less than 10, just carry on. If it's higher, adjust the concentration of the biocide, either the dose or the frequency. If it's higher, then you do a more aggressive disinfection protocol. So the information is there in terms of a simple kind of what do we do to react to a positive. And then the other thing you can say, well, you know, ASHRAE standard 188, although it's a voluntary standard, requires a water management plan to be developed to address the risk in the cooling tower. And I'm happy to help you to devise that plan, either you, the water treatment on treater on your own, or in uh, consultation with other experts. We do that all the time. Uh, we offer our expertise to the water treatment professional to help them deliver that service uh, to their clients. So it, it sounds complicated and it certainly, I understand, is can be anxiety provoking. But, you know, all of this activity, the CMS, the ASHRAE 188 uh, CDC toolkit, has really brought Legionella into the conversation in a way that it's not been before. So it's pretty tough to not know about some of this, either all of it or part of it. And that helps you, the water treatment professional, have that conversation. Because I think in the past, you know, they were kind of like, I don't know if I want to have that conversation because the my end user is going to get mad at me or maybe pick somebody else instead of me. But now it's part of the conversation. And so we're all kind of on the same page of prevention. And I think it'll be easier to have that conversation now than ever. Well, you mentioned earlier, you always like to have a little lawyer on your shoulder. So during this conversation, 
the water treater is going to have a lawyer on their shoulder and so is the building owner. And they're both thinking, well, if I come up with this plan, I'm going to be liable. So I want the other party to come up with this plan. How do we get around that? Well, let me ask you just to clarify that. What do you mean the other party? You mean like the end user is going to say, I don't want to do it, you do it? Yes. And that's, that, that's, that's what I've heard people say. Okay. Well, ASHRAE Standard 188 makes the building owner responsible. And so that means it's not the water treatment professional that's responsible for developing and having the plan and and implementing the plan. But you certainly can help with that, and you can certainly be part of the water management team. So the owner and, and your end user you know, can't put that on someone else, but you can help them to accomplish that. So I, I think, you know, they have to sort of accept that this is their responsibility, but it's not on them entirely in the sense of getting the job done. So you can tell them, you know, you can do this yourself. You can create your plan yourself, or you can you can put it on someone else's plate to help develop that plan but ultimately they have to approve the plan. So it's perfectly acceptable uh, for the water treater or, you know, like we do, we do, do water management plans and risk assessments for facilities all the time, but then we give it back to them and they have to approve it. And it's very collaborative. You know, we, co- we collaborate with the water treatment provider and the end user to develop the best plan possible and one that works for them. And again, with Standard 188, there's lots of room for the end user and their facility to design that plan specifically and tailored to them. And the decisions that they make, of course, need to be what we call evidence-based. There's information upon which those decisions are made and that you can produce that information if asked. So, you know, they don't have to feel afraid or overburdened by this process. Uh, there are many, many of us, including yourself, that are willing to help them uh, with that compliance piece. I think 1,500 people just took a chill pill on that. I think that uh, that calmed a, a lot of people. You you shared a, a lot of insight around probably the biggest misconception uh, around probably the second L word, which is the, the litigation. So uh, with testing, what is the procedure on the collection part of the test? Well, that's a great uh, technical question, and, and people make mistakes around this all the time. So it's not hard. You know, you take the, the bottle. The thing to do, and this may feel uncomfortable for some people, but what, what you're asking in doing this testing is, is the water treatment program controlling Legionella? So what you want to do is take the sample away from the point of injection of the biocide and if it's an intermittent application, you do it right before the next application of the biocide. So essentially, it's kind of like the worst case scenario uh, across the basin and away from the point of injection of the biocide and right before the next dose. That will tell you, is the biocide application, the frequency of addition, adequate to control Legionella even at that point in time? And then you fill the bottle, you put it in the, uh, the box. We provide a thermal pouch and the box. You ship it back. You ship it back next day delivery. You don't have to have ice 
or a cold pack for Legionella testing because Legionella is a slow-growing organism. And the reason for the overnight is you don't want to take too long to get that to the laboratory because these other organisms that are in the water will start to grow after several days, making it a little challenge for us to isolate Legionella in the laboratory. So it's a pretty simple, straightforward procedure. In the bottle, there's a neutralizer, sodium thiosulfate. If you were using an oxidizing biocide, the purpose of that is to neutralize that oxidizer so that it doesn't continue to act on the organisms in the specimen in transport. So doesn't that sound pretty simple? It does when you say it. I think a lot of people might not have thought about, does it really matter when I take my sample in reference to when the biocide's coming on? So that's a great point. Well, now we ship it off, you get it, or another lab gets it. So does every lab do it the exact same way? No, they don't. And this is always a big surprise to people, and particularly water treatment professionals, because they're used to chemistry. And, you know, for example, you might take a sample and test it for a metal. And there's one method for testing metal, and you should get the same answer every single time, uh, no matter how you do it and what lab's doing it. In the case of Legionella culture, there is variation among laboratories on how they do Legionella culture. And for a long, long time, there really was no what's called proficiency testing, meaning there's an external body that sends you a a control sample and and, uh, sends that out to all these different laboratories to see if, in fact, they're capable of growing Legionella if Legionella is there. Now, the CDC uh, implemented what's called the ELITE program a number of years ago, and that stands for Environmental Legionella Isolation Techniques Evaluation. Uh, Thank goodness for acronyms sometimes. (laughs) Yes, that's what it stands for. And uh, really the purpose of that was to gather information about uh, how laboratories were doing in terms of laboratory isolation. So it wasn't really a true proficiency program in that essentially everybody that participated ended up being certified. So it was not a good measuring stick to differentiate the capabilities of the laboratory. There is another proficiency program, uh, which is an international one through Public Health England, which is more rigorous. We at Special Pathogens Laboratory participate in both. And so the thing you want to look for in a laboratory is that they are accredited laboratory for environmental microbiology, that they are credited for Legionella testing specifically, and that they have a quality management program based on the International Organization of Standards, or ISO uh, 17025. So that makes sure that the laboratory has quality uh, standards. So there, like if you mentioned a bid spec earlier, if I was going to make a bid spec, that's what I would include. And the reason that they are different is that uh, there are different combinations of media and additives to the culture media that help to inhibit other bacteria and allow Legionella to grow. Now, for example, we developed our own media early on in our experience that is very good. It has dyes to differentiate certain species of Legionella. It has antibiotics, polymyxin B, anisomycin, and glycine, all intended to inhibit 
the other bacteria and allow Legionella to grow. And so there are different combinations of media. There's also different combinations of pretreatment. Some laboratories don't do the pretreatment and they'll give you a negative result. You would never be the wiser, but all of these steps, the antibiotic containing media, the pretreatment with acid or heat are necessary in order to get the truest and best result. And, and we do all of that here. And then the other piece is how is Legionella identified? The definitive identification is with something called the direct fluorescent antibody test, which is specific to different serogroups and species. The, the presumptive identification is done with what's called a slide agglutination, and that's where you get just, you know, is this Legionella pneumophila or is it some other species? So that's an incomplete identification. Many labs will stop there and, you know, charge you less for an incomplete identification. But because we have been doing this so long and we know that there are limitations to these steps, we do a full identification with all of those uh, various treatment techniques. So that's how labs differ one from another. So after all of that's done, all the results are going to be put on a report. That report is going to be sent back to the person that sent you the test. What's going to be on that report? What you'll see on the report should be both kind of qualitative and quantitative results. So it should give you a, a numeric colony forming units per milliliter result of the type of Legionella that was isolated as well as defining what type of Legionella was there. Was it Legionella pneumophila? Is it Legionella anissa or Bosmani? What was isolated? So you should get both the identification of the specific organisms in that sample as well as a quantitative estimate of the concentration of the organisms. All right, so let's go back to our, our scenario that we were talking about with our explanation and conversation with our customer. And we get a result back and it's in a range that we've already specified that we were going to make a change to the biocide program. We do that. We take another sample. We send it back and it went up. What the heck's going on there? That does happen, and it's, it causes great consternation, uh, both on the part of the water treatment professional as well as the end That's user. That's a great word, by the way. <laughs> consternation, yeah. Well, what can happen is in response to the first result, uh, a high dose of oxidizing biocide is applied. And as most water treatment professionals know, that can lift off the biofilm, the scum and debris from the bottom and kind of stir things up. And then when you have a certain amount of the oxidant in there, it can't really overcome all of that organic material, even though you've got a certain level there. So you've stirred it all up, you take another sample, and it's higher. So it, sometimes it takes multiple applications of that high dose of oxidant in order to control it, if it's a pretty you know, fouled system. What would you recommend the, the next step be with that scenario? depending on the concentration that was isolated. So let's just say you started out with 100 and now you're over 1,000. Well, in that cooling tower control strategy, when it's over 1,000, it's a more aggressive, a higher dose application of the oxidant and for longer. So it's, it's very uh, clearly spelled out there. All right. And we're talking about biocide. So are there more recognized biocides than others for controlling the growth of Legionella bacteria? There are. And oftentimes I use the analogy of the antibiotic that I talked to you about earlier. 
And, and this was really driven home to me in an early outbreak that I was part of, an investigation, where I was on site at this industrial site. We're going up to the roof, to the cooling tower on the roof, and there's these drums of chemical, nice pumps and, and ORP and all of, all of these things that are there. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is a really well-managed uh, cooling tower. It's probably not a problem. And then I open the, the latch and I look inside and it's crystal clear, you know, it would be the, the poster child of a quote-unquote well-maintained cooling tower. Well, when I took a sample of that water, it was over 3,000 colony-forming units of Legionella pneumophila serogroup 1 and was the source of the outbreak. So what I learned was that they were using biocides that were intended to control algae like carbamate and not oxidants like bromine or chlorine or combinations thereof. So it's really important that the biocide selection have efficacy against Legionella. You often hear people talking about dual biocides, you know, using an oxidant and a non-oxidizing biocide. And that usually works pretty well, the non-oxidizers being glutaraldehyde and isothiazolin in combination and alternating with the, the oxidant. The one caveat that I would share in, in, in using bromine, uh, which is commonly used, one of the things that happens sometimes is the dose is not high enough. So for example, you might have good efficacy at a half a part per million of free chlorine, but you need higher doses of bromine to get the same effect. And we learned that in some of the experiments that we had done here and at the University of Pittsburgh when comparing the efficacy of various biocides against Legionella. So one of the mistakes that gets made is assuming that that half a part per million of bromine is going to be uh, effective. And so that's another reason to test periodically for Legionella just to confirm that. Is there a document that actually states, you know, what's better than other and what dosage rates they should be applied at? I'm not aware of one particular document. Uh, there's lots of information that's been published, but that's actually a good idea. Uh, I don't know if that uh, is under consideration at AWT or CTI, but that would be a really good suggestion. It makes it easy for people to see uh, typical dosing uh, patterns. And I think that the tricky part is is having evidence of the efficacy of those programs. Let's do a, a recap. You're looking at a water treatment company. You're doing a survey. They're doing everything right. What are they doing? With respect to a cooling tower? Sure. Well, just as we said, uh, using biocides with known efficacy uh, against Legionella. Uh, one of the things I think that's important for a water treater to emphasize to the end user is that, you know, sometimes that means possibly a more expensive biocide or more frequent addition. And that's where the periodic testing for Legionella helps demonstrate that the program is working effectively and provides evidence of that water management. Uh, so I think ideally, and certainly in the context of, of uh, CMS and ASHRAE, you want to have a water management program uh, around the cooling tower that defines these things. So that's something that's going to be new to most of the end users. 
what you want to have is that adequate biocide program with documented evidence of efficacy. Now, the one thing I did want to touch on that I'm reminded of in talking about this best program is the use of heterotrophic plate count as a monitor of the efficacy of the biocide, either HPC or ATP. People sometimes think that you can use that result to predict the presence or absence of Legionella, and our studies and others have shown that not to be true. But it doesn't mean you don't keep using that, because that's a good measure of how well the biocide is doing in general against the bacteria that are detected by the HPC test. So you want to continue to use that as sort of your your kind of high-level measure of efficacy, but don't rely entirely on that with respect to knowing whether Legionella is controlled or not. So you want to be doing both of those on a regular basis. And the other thing I might encourage water treatment professionals to do is involve the end user, or try to anyway, in in between those service calls. So most water treatment professionals uh, are on site once a month, And one of the things that I like to see and put into our water management programs is that the user manually check the oxidant level in between those service visits. There's nothing like the human element of gathering data and getting feedback to help them understand the value of this information. And what, you know, it's not just an air conditioning system. They're actually uh, preventing disease. And, And the more that they can work with you and together, the more important I think they see what you, the water treaters, are doing. Well, Jenna, let me ask, if we're testing for chlorine, do we test for free? Do we test for total? And what should those numbers be? Well, so you're the you're the water treater and chemist, and so you're setting me up for a question I think you know the answer to. But you want to be looking at free residual chlorine or free oxidant because that tells you that you've got enough to kill. Now, measuring total, because these oxidants can combine with things, is not going to give you as much good information about the biocide activity as the free uh, residual will. And actually, that's a mistake, too, that's made by just testing for total. Uh, You can kind of be lulled into uh, complacency by thinking you're good when, in fact, you don't have uh, active uh, free residual available for killing. So I think you want to be looking for free and you want to be doing it you know, frequently enough to, for that information to be of use. And obviously, we'd all like to see automatic dosing and ORP monitoring at all of the installations, but that's not possible. So sometimes those manual checks are very valuable. Well, let me further that question. So let's say we do have ORP feed and it's constantly being fed in. What's an acceptable free chlorine that we should be maintaining? I think an acceptable free chlorine, when chlorine is the biocide, people have had success at 0.5 or higher. You don't, you know, that's that fine line you're walking, uh, corrosion control versus biocidal activity. But there's lots of those uh, anti-corrosives now that are are stable in the presence of higher doses of free chlorine. And so I think if you can bump that up a little bit above a half a part per million, uh, you'd be well served. Okay, now what about a system where we don't have the luxury of ORP and we've got to slug that in every so often? One, how often should it be slugged in and what should the residual be once it's in there? 
Well, with manual addition or, or slug dosing, it's a little trickier because you, what you're trying to achieve is a certain residual for a sufficient amount of time to keep things under control. So with a, with a bromine, as I said, I prefer to see it at one or higher. There's so many variables, you know, how much, how dirty the tower is. I'm sure you've seen a dirty tower or two, haven't you, Trace? Maybe one or two. <laughs> uh, so, so the so I think you know the every cooling tower is a little different, but the you know the professionals in water treatment are trying to get that sweet spot between concentration and contact time. As you know, the efficacy of any biocide is a combination of those two. You have to have a sufficient concentration long enough to get the desired reduction. If you have a lower concentration of the biocide, you need a longer exposure period. If you have a higher concentration of the biocide, you need a shorter period of exposure to get the same effect. So I think I'm not an expert in, in the duration of, of how long you should keep that biocide in the cooling tower, but you want to maintain that high enough concentration long enough to have that effect. And I think with slug dosing, it's hard. And so the preference, and I think what the industry would like to see is more of that automated dosing to keep those residuals high all the time. And when the building owner wants to save a few bucks and not clean the cooling tower on a regular basis, they should probably look for other areas to save that money. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And, and, you know, those dirty towers, you know, we want to advocate for side stream filtration, anything to keep the dirt and debris at a minimum. You know, those sweepers on the bottom of the larger cooling towers help in that regard. So anytime you can minimize all that material that accumulates that provides material for growth of organisms, including Legionella, as well as interfering uh, with demand of your oxidant, you want to do that. So um, I know that oftentimes end users don't see the value in it, but hopefully Legionella will change that conversation uh, dramatically. Well, I know we've educated a lot of people here around Legionella, and I have no doubt that we're going to have several water treatment professionals go out and talk with their customers and say, hey, this is something that you need to be doing, and they're going to be met with somebody saying something like, hey, this is law in New York, not here down in Georgia. So when somebody makes me do this, I'll do it. Until then, ignorance is bliss. What would you advise them to say? Well, you know, that that's playing Russian roulette with the lives of others. And I know it would probably be very uncomfortable for a water treater to say that. But I think what you, I'm always a glass half full person. So what you want to emphasize are the positive things that having these programs can bring. You know, having a better water treatment program increases uh, energy efficiency. Protecting their, their job and the reputation of the facility and keeping them out of harm's way in terms of disease causation and litigation is a wonderful thing. And I can't imagine why anybody would say no to that. But then, of course, you know, the final thing is, is that even though it may not be required, having this ASHRAE standard 188 is the industry standard now. And you would have a hard time defending yourself and your institution if you willfully neglected to follow that industry standard. I've heard you say several times that the goal is to take negligence off the table. Would you speak around that? 
Yes, I, you know, I'm a microbiologist, not a lawyer. And so I went to a lawyer and one that I had worked with on some Legionella cases. So when Standard 188 came out, I said to him, what, in your opinion, does this change about litigation and liability for those that would follow Standard 188? And it was his position that following Standard 188 represented, and these were his words, a safe harbor for any facility following and having a water management plan as described in Standard 188. Because that is the industry standard. And if you are not following that, then that opens you up to, well, why not? And what are you doing? And is it sufficient? And so another caveat here is it's a safe harbor if you follow your plan. So it's very, very important that when you walk down this this path with your end user to develop the water management plan, that you make sure that they follow the plan because you can get yourself in a lot of hot water, legally speaking, whether it's a Legionella water management plan or another policy, that if you have the policy and you don't follow it. So you want to make sure that they understand that as they develop this plan, that they can do it. And so that's part of the give and take and the, and the customization of the plan that Standard 188 allows uh, the water management team to decide how they're going to mitigate this risk. The section in Standard 188 that deals specifically with cooling towers is pretty prescriptive, but the section on potable water, there's quite a wide berth there on how you can approach it, you know, how frequently to monitor, uh, what the endpoints are gonna be. So you just wanna make sure that you have the plan and that you follow the plan. On my show, I do a segment every now and then for my personal therapy called The Boiling Point. And it's things I see out in the field other water treaters do that just ticks me off and they shouldn't do it anymore. So I'm going to give you this therapy opportunity. What do you see out there around the subject of Legionella that you just want people to stop? That is just so terrific, Trace. Well, you know, I the the one thing that comes to my mind is that that business about the heterotrophic plate count bacteria or ATP test as being sufficient to monitor the performance of the of the water treatment program whether it's a cooling tower or a water distribution system. And I don't think the water treater is serving themselves or the end user very well in kind of letting the end user go along without testing for Legionella specifically. And I hope that there aren't any of your listeners that tell the end user that that's going to tell them whether Legionella is controlled or not. Because it's, it, it's while it satisfies the user because it's an inexpensive test compared to a Legionella test, it doesn't serve them well in the long run. And, and, and doesn't serve the water treater well either because water treaters are getting sued with cases of Legionnaire's disease. And so you want to promote the best possible program. Let the end user refuse. And one of the things that some water treaters are doing is having a document that says, 
you have been uh, informed and advised to test for Legionella and have declined that service, and they have the end user sign it. I think that's a wonderful thing to do. It helps protect the water treater, and it also helps the end user to understand the seriousness of what uh, you're proposing. Well, Janet, is there anything we missed? What should we have talked about? I think we've covered an awful lot, Trace, and I think All of your listeners are thanking you for all of these uh, programs that you have on scaling up. It sounds like a tremendous amount of practical knowledge gets conveyed. You know, thank you for doing it. Oh, it's absolutely a pleasure. And thank you for allowing me to have such wonderful guests. If somebody wanted to learn more, where can they go? Well, I would really love to give any one of your users some of my Dr. Stout's Legionella chill pills. And so all they have to do is email me at J as in Janet, Stout, S-T-O-U-T, at specialpathogens, with an S, lab.com, Stout at specialpathogenslab.com. I'd like to do that because sometimes the, having those chill pills helps begin that conversation with your end user in a humorous way and kind of takes the edge off that conversation a little bit. And I'm certainly happy to answer any other questions that your listeners might have. Well, I will definitely put that information on my show notes page. And you have that treasure trove uh, of information on just about everything that's ever been written as far as a standard guideline or recommendation on Legionella. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to link that as well. Now I'd be be happy and uh, and again there's tremendous resources on our website specialpathogenslab.com. Well, Janet, you're a trusted partner with me and my company, and I can't thank you enough for coming up on the Scaling Up Nation and sharing all your knowledge about Legionella. I know we did a lot of good today, and I know we created a lot of knowledge, and knowledge is power. Thank you so much for the opportunity. My pleasure. What a great interview. I hope you learned something today. Honestly, I can't see how you could not learn something today. We started out talking about the L word and we were scared to even call it Legionella. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what to do about it. Well, now we know all those things and more. And I know Janet threw out some resources for us to go online and find out more about Legionella and what we can do. Don't worry, I know you're driving around. I've got all that information on my show notes page. So go to www.scalinguph2o.com. Go to the show notes page and all of that will be there for you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope you're going to use this information to empower yourself to be a better water treater tomorrow than you were today. 